Would you believe me if I told you that we had a song in our hymn book that was written by an unbeliever? We do. In 1959, Ray Overholt, a man who did not profess any kind of faith in Jesus, he wrote the song, 10,000 Angels. Overholt was actually a country music performer that made a living playing in bars and honky-tonks and nightclubs and who, by his own admission, he drank a lot and he used profanity and he just never really gave a whole lot of thought to religion. However, he did know who Jesus was. He had an awareness of Jesus, especially since the the country and gospel music genres tend to kind of overlap from time to time. And so, to quote Ray Overholt, he said, One day I just thought to myself, I've written a lot of secular songs. I'd like to write a song about Christ. And so he did. He opened up the Bible, began reading, began to piece together the things that he read about Jesus in the New Testament and the Gospel accounts. Specifically, he pieced together the events of Jesus' final days leading up to and including the crucifixion. And remarkably, the end product of his study and of his writing is, a, I think, a pretty accurate retelling of the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, if you've got your songbook, open it up to number 580. Look at that song, 10,000 Angels. Just read the four stanzas with me. Verse 1, they bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where He he prayed. They led Him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify Him, He's to blame. Upon His precious head they placed a crown of thorns. They laughed and they said, behold the King. They struck Him and they cursed Him and they mocked His holy name. All alone He suffered everything. When they nailed him to the cross, his mother stood nearby. He said, Woman, behold thy son. He cried, I thirst for water, but they gave him none to drink. Then the sinful work of man was done. To the howling mob he yielded. He did not for mercy cry. The cross of shame he took alone. And when he cried, It's finished, he gave himself to die. Salvation's wondrous plan was done i got to tell you, I think that's pretty good for a guy who was a self-acknowledged non-believer at that point in his life. Of course, the real hook of this song, at least what it was for me as a kid singing this song, the real hook is the chorus, isn't it? That chorus, I love getting to that chorus when we'd sing it together, still do to this day. Because after expressing these various aspects of Christ's suffering, the chorus reminds us that Jesus could have avoided all of that pain, could have avoided all of that suffering, By calling 10,000 angels the chorus, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and to set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And it really was that idea, the chorus and the thoughts surrounding that, that really captured Ray Overholt's imagination the most. Because the idea that to a believer... That Jesus could have at any moment, He could have put an end to the, to the false arrest. He could have put an end to the kangaroo court. He could have put an end to the undeserved scourging. He could have put an end to that ugly and unjust crucifixion. He could have put an end to all of that by summoning His host of angels in the snap of a finger. That really captured His imagination. The idea that Jesus chose willingly, voluntarily, of His own accord, He chose instead to be the atoning sacrifice for sin that you needed, that I needed, that everybody in the world needed to bring about salvation. 
That really is a powerful idea, even if you're not a believer in what the Bible says. And there really is a lot that could be said about that. I really think that is the main gist of the song. We could say a lot about the great love that Christ demonstrated in His willingness to do that. We could say a lot about the great obedience that Jesus demonstrated toward His Father in going through that. Maybe the most, one of the most amazing things to me is the remarkable amount of self-restraint that Jesus used, the things that He chose not to do in order to bring about the salvation of humanity. But can I draw your attention to something that really stood out to me the last time that we sung this song in this assembly. I don't remember who was leading that particular day, but it was several weeks ago. And as we were singing this song, I could not stop thinking about Jesus' suffering from the perspective of the angels. The song talks about the angels. Have you ever thought about looking through the eyes of the angels as Jesus went through all of that and as He died? What in the world were the angels in heaven thinking? I really got to thinking about that, and really it provoked me to think an awful lot about the very close and special relationship that I think the New Testament shows that the angels of heaven had with Jesus. You know, if you were to just set aside the fact that, first of all, Jesus was there whenever the angels were created, think of all the other things that the gospel accounts show us about the relationship between the angels and Jesus. In fact, we probably have more in the Bible about the angels' relationship to Jesus than the angel's relationship to any other one individual in all of Scripture. For example, think about this. It was the angel Gabriel who foretold of Jesus' birth to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And it was as well an angel who foretold of His birth to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Then in Luke chapter 2, when the baby Jesus was finally born, it was the angels. It was that heavenly host that appeared. They appeared to the shepherds. And what did they praise? They said, praise God. Glory to God in the highest over the birth of His Son into this world. And then, once Jesus was an infant, it was an angel once again who came and warned Joseph and told him, pack up your family, flee to Egypt. Herod has designs on killing the new king that has appeared on the block. And then flash forward a little bit in Jesus' life. When Jesus is in the wilderness, He's been fasting for a number of days, and He's tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And at the conclusion of those temptations, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4, that it was angels who came and ministered to Him in that moment. Skip ahead a little bit further in the life of Jesus, and while Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night that He was to be betrayed, And as Jesus prayed there in His agony with those drops of sweat that was like blood, Luke 22 says, who was it? It was an angel that came and comforted Him and strengthened Him. And of course, when Jesus is finally arrested, it was Jesus Himself who acknowledged in Matthew chapter 26 that if He wanted to, He could have appealed to His Father. And God could at that moment, He could send Him twelve legions of angels to come and rescue Him. In fact, if a legion is to be counted and to be measured the way that Roman armies would have counted and measured their armies, then actually this is a whole lot more than 10,000 angels. We could be talking 72,000 angels in the snap of a finger, Jesus says. But the point is, Jesus knew at that moment He could rely upon those angels to come and to do His bidding. That's how much they cared for Jesus. Not only that, but who was it that rolled away the stone of Jesus' tomb after He was buried? Matthew 28 says it was an angel. And who was the first to announce about the resurrected Lord? Who was the very first one to say something about that? Once again, it was an angel. And then who is it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1? 
Who is it that the Bible says is going to accompany Jesus whenever He returns to judge the world? Once again, it's going to be the angels of heaven. Over and over again, what we see in the Bible is we see the angels serving Jesus, helping Jesus, coming to the aid of Jesus. And certainly the Bible tells us that angels are also ministering spirits on our behalf. We don't always know what they're doing for us, but the Bible assures us they are at work. But think about the things that they did for Jesus over and over again. This one that they knew and they acknowledged, this is God's Son that we're doing these things for. They worship Jesus, Revelation says. They love Jesus. They have had the opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus in heaven. Which means that the angels really know Jesus in a way that none of the rest of us can even begin to really know Jesus. I think it's safe to say that the angels of heaven, they cared deeply about Jesus and they were always ready to serve and to minister on His behalf. With that in mind, tell me this. How did the angels feel the night that Jesus was arrested? What must the angels have been thinking when Jesus was being put through that sham of a trial from place to place? What kind of emotions must have welled up inside the angels When they saw Jesus on earth being slapped around, pushed around, spit upon, mocked, beaten to within an inch of His life. And what do you suppose was going through the minds of those angels whenever they saw Jesus nailed to that cross, writhing in agony and in pain? In Jerusalem, there is a street called the Via Della Rosa. There's a picture of that street. And it is believed to be the processional route that Jesus took as He made His way toward the hill of Golgotha. If you were to walk that street today in modern day Jerusalem, what you will find is you will find nine little stations along the way, nine tableaus that have all been set up and each one depicts a different scene of Jesus on the day that He was crucified. The third of those stations depicts Jesus stumbling under the weight of the cross. And I realize the Bible doesn't specifically say that, but I think maybe we can use our imaginations a little bit there. That Jesus falling down under the weight of trying to carry that heavy load. And I don't know if you can see it there, but if you'll notice in the background, there's angels watching. Let me blow that up there. The idea there that the angels were watching, and they were worried about what they saw, they were mournful, They were concerned, probably even felt helpless as their Lord. Their Lord is being mocked, He's being mistreated, He's being abused, all at the hands of sinful and lawless men. What's it like? What's it like for the entire heavenly host, the armies of heaven, to have to stand by? And they don't even truly even understand everything that's taking place. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 says that even the angels didn't fully comprehend God's great plan and all of these events that were happening. What's it like to be one of those angels and to look down from heaven and to have to be a witness to the murder of God's Son? In fact, what's it like to have to watch all that when you know that God has created you with the power to go down there and to do something about it? You could go down there and take out everybody. You remember in the story of the Assyrians during the reign of King Hezekiah? God sent one angel, wiped out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. What's it like to know you have the power to do that, but now essentially you've been rendered powerless. God 
God holds you back. What's it like to then look to the Father and to say, Father, let me go. Let me go down there. Look at what they're doing to your Son. Look at what they're doing to our Jesus. Let me stop them. Let me take my sword. Let me go and destroy them. Give me the word. Give me the signal. Give me communication. I will go and save him. What's it like to see Jesus being hurt and humiliated and then to be told, no, no, not this time. I have to believe that second only to God himself, that the grief of the angels was immense on that day, during that period of days. Because they knew that at any moment, Jesus could have snapped the finger and He could have called down those 10,000 angels. But as Jesus rightly pointed out in Matthew, the 26th chapter, if He had called those angels, verse 54 goes on to say, then how would the Scriptures ever be fulfilled? How would God's plan ever come to completeness and to fruition if Jesus did call those angels? And so while a big part of me is very sympathetic to the thoughts and the emotions that the angels must have felt that day, I'm very thankful that God did restrain them. And I'm thankful that Jesus restrained Himself and that He was willing to endure that cross without angelic intervention. Indeed, as the song says, the punctuating note at the end of the chorus, He died alone for you and for me. The question is... What's that worth to you? What's the value of that to you? To know that Jesus could have put an end to the misery and the torture that He was experiencing by calling down a host of angels to deliver Him and to take Him back to heaven. And He didn't have to put up with any of this. But instead, by His choice of His own volition, He chose to suffer and to die for you. What's that mean to you? Does that affect you in any way? Does that move you emotionally in any way? And even more so, more than just how that might move you emotionally, how does that truth affect how you live? Because it ought to affect how you live. It ought to move you to humble gratitude and submission and obedience to this Jesus who is indeed the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. If you're not a Christian this evening, we would implore you to think soberly and to think very seriously about being united with Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism tonight. All things are ready for that to happen. If you would confess your faith in Jesus as God's Son and repent and turn from sin, it would be our privilege to help you be united with Christ in those waters and you can become one of God's children. If you are a Christian, but you're not living like one, brother or sister, we would encourage you to remember the enormous price that was paid in order to author your salvation and for you to come back to the Lord in humility and in repentance Let us pray with you and encourage you as well. We are going to sing this song, 10,000 Angels. We're going to sing verses 1 and 2 and then the chorus, and then verses 3 and 4 and then the chorus again. And as we sing these words, it is about the words. Think about all that Jesus was willing to give up in order to provide you the way to be forgiven of your sins and for you to be able to have a home in heaven when this life is over. If there's any way that we can assist you in responding to the invitation of the Lord, would you seize upon this moment right now? Do that by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.